everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Tell Us What's in the Box. What is in the box, Joanna? Lots of drugs, 80s, 80s decadence, high school drugs, everything. We are going to be talking about My Best Friend's Exorcism, the 20s or the 2016 novel by Grady Hendrix, who is here with us today. Yay! Hello, Grady. Welcome. I couldn't be more disappointed because I thought what was in the box was Gwyneth Paltrow's head. <laughs> and I was I was excited. The more years that go by, the more excited I get about her head in a box. Always in. Right, right, right. Well, who knows? I feel like, you know, around the time of seven, I was on Gwyneth's side. And now with Goop, I'm like, mm-hmm. put the head in the box. Yes. You know, you stuff, start shoving weird stuff in places you shouldn't put things in. Jade eggs. Well, yeah. <laughs> Jade eggs I don't have a problem with. It's the vaginal steaming, you know? It's just like, right. it's this idea that somehow we need to get the murk out, that somehow it's dirty. I don't know. It's a bummer. Why'd she go there? There Ooh. is a such thing as good bacteria, and all bodies exactly. need good bacteria. <laughs> yes. But yeah, I don't know. I still have to send Danny a surprise Halloween gift that we're supposed to send each other, so maybe- Do not send me a jag egg <laughs> or a vaginal cleanser, please. Please. Like, like a fake head. I, I beg you. <laughs> okay, I can do oh. it. <laughs> when it's head, that would be amazing. Well, I would actually yeah. be very impressed if you could pull that off. <laughs> <laughs> right. But the book, the book, the book. Yeah. We who have a book. who we have cares a book. about the book when we're talking about decapitating with a Paltrow? Because oh, I gotta right, say, guys, we're changing podcast- the talk. Yes. If a podcast could kill and decapitate with a Paltrow without anyone noticing, that's overachieving. I mean, that's brilliant. Yeah, we aim to please. That's a we solid aim. B plus. <laughs> B plus. Your women, come on, what? you got to try harder and. Yeah. <laughs> if it was a dude, he met Gwyneth Paltrow and shook her hand. A plus. Yeah. Your women decapitate or no one knows. B plus. Yeah, that's too true. Too true. Too true. Very sad. This is dangerous. I'm depressing early. Yeah. (laughs) Let's have a moment for feminism. Oh, God. (laughs) R.I.P. Okay. So, yeah. So, this book. But wait, sorry. Before we do the book, I'm not deflecting, but I got to know where are y'all located? I'm in Lubbock, Texas. Home of Buddy Holly. All right. Orange County, California for me. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not from Lubbock, Texas, though. That's okay. I'm a Yankee from Vermont. Oh, God, from where? Vermont, actually. Northeast Kingdom, Vermont. (laughs) Northeast. Holy cow. I went to Bennington for like a year, Um, but that's like Southwest. So Northeast was like a magical mystery to all of us. Yeah. My hometown's about an hour south of the Canadian border. So right out there. Now I'm in Texas. My husband's Texan. So I'm here. Mixed I don't know why. They're tough. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. Talking to fancy East Coast people. West Coast for life. What? <laughs> Girl. I don't mean to alienate any of our East Coast listeners. Y'all are awesome. Too late. Orange, Orange County doesn't get enough respect. You know what? No. Orange County, in some parts, deserves less respect than it gets. I'm just being it's real. Super Republican, right? 
Oh God, stay away from Huntington Beach, especially. Like that's like the pits of Orange County now. It is terrible. <laughs> well, it's crazy. Years ago, I worked on this um, Vietnamese movie called Journey from the Fall. It was like the first big movie about boat people. And it was like this really big deal, but we were trying to come up with this alternative strategy. And we're like, instead of doing the typical New York, LA release, we're gonna do Orange County for our opening weekend. Cause it's a huge Vietnamese American community. Mm -hmm. And oh my God, we were the number one movie in America uh, for like a weekend because of Orange County. So yeah. I always have warm feelings to Orange County, but then I see how Republican and crazy it is. And I'm like, eh, my feelings yeah. become mixed. Yeah, West, Westminster? awesome because of the mm. culture there huntington beach not so much <laughs> yeah westminster was where the theater yeah. was yeah yeah amazing food in west westminster huntington beach yeah eh. <laughs> and this was the early 2000s so at okay. the time there was a dude who was our guy he was like our whisperer he was like oh i can get like 700 people there for every screening we're like okay cool but he owned a ton of karaoke bars and that was his thing. Like it, he was like the karaoke. We're not sure that he owned them. Did he supply them with their laser disc? We didn't really know what he did, but somehow he was linked to karaoke and driving a huge number of people into theaters. It was very weird. We didn't oh, question wow. it. Yeah, I probably have been to some of those karaoke spots there too. Like there's tons. I know. Does cool. karaoke exist anymore? I think karaoke's over. It totally exists. Yeah. Thanks, <laughs> yeah. COVID. <laughs> no more karaoke. Unless no it's more. a private room, maybe. I don't no know. more. <laughs> You're in a pod. <laughs> You're just like, eh, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of pods, meat pods, exorcisms, segue. There nice. we go. <laughs> that was well smooth, done. Joanna. That was real smooth. So Thank you. you. Yeah. Respect. Smooth. Smooth. Kudos. Kudos. Yeah. We're not humans, we're meat pods. Right. Yeah, no, I so, like meat pods. So Joanna's yes, a baby. Uh, she's a bitty thing and she doesn't remember <laughs> the 80s. So I mean I was I was born in 87, so I'm really a 90s kid. So one of one of the things that we definitely wanted to kind of talk about before we get into all the character relationships and and everything is explain. 80s nostalgia to somebody who didn't who didn't live through oh. it. Jelana, <laughs> she needs to explain it to her. No, Not just me. <laughs> no, I appreciate you're doing the reporter thing. This reporter would like to know what 80s nostalgia was. No, I hate 80s nostalgia. I really do. I think it's gross. Um, when I wound up writing this book, mm. God, it was like 2014, 20, I don't know. But there were already these movies hitting the film festival circuit. It was like, it's got a hardcore stripped down synth score and some like really high, like neon key lighting. So it's an eighties tribute and the movies were just so terrible. And I was like, Oh, I never want to do anything set in the eighties. But then I, so after I did horror store, which is my first mm -hmm. novel, which was a haunted Ikea thing did. Okay. Which I my loved, by like, the way, that was the first thank one. You, I, I appreciate it. Um, thank you. Very validating. Um, and my publisher was like, what else you got? And I pitched them like four or five different books, all of which they thought were stupid, all of which have since been published by them. Um, <laughs> and, 
they and I was like, and then I got this title, like my best friend's exorcism. And my editor, who at the my editor at the time was this guy, Jason Rakulik, who was really like a sick genius. Like he had this he knew what sort of the market wanted. Like, you know what I mean? He'd be like, crabs. Everyone, there's something about crabs and crustaceans. I think it's coming. Like, I don't know if he just spent long nights in like a tarot circle made of steak. What it was he did, I don't know. But he had this idea. He was like surfing the future. And he was like, my best is exorcism. Title. We buy it. We'll, we'll buy it. Very little money. I mean, now I look back and I'm like, Jesus Christ. But... <laughs> They bought it. So then I had to write it. And I'm like, okay, Best Friends Exorcism, most exorcism books are, or movies are basically a teenage girl tied to a bed while old men scream at her. And so, like, let's get into the sort of the demoniac. That's the sort of technical term for the person who's possessed. Their point of view, what's that like? Who are they? And then I was like, and also what, because most exorcisms are a battle of faith, right? It's like the person who's possessed, the demoniac doesn't matter. It's Satan and the priest. Like that's what matters. Or if you're, you're a Protestant and it's a deliverance, it's Satan and the minister. So I was like, okay, so what would someone have faith in that, you know, now we're sort of like no one believes in God or they do, but you know, it's not the way it was in the seventies. It's friendship. Okay, so like, you know, your friends, that's who you believe in. That's who bails you out. That's who saves you. That's your salvation. So when's friendship strongest? It's in high school. Okay. And I can't write convincingly about high school now because everyone vapes and they all have cell phones. So I was like, what do we do? It's got to be high school when I grew up and that's the 80s. And I started reading all my old yearbooks and you read those inscriptions in the covers, like, have a great summer, you know, so cool to sit next to you in algebra. Like, and then suddenly in 10th grade, they're like, hey, JB on the LZ, watch out for Mr. Y. And like, they're all these inside jokes, like 10th grade, people's like, they just, their personalities explode. And my 10th grade was 88. So I was like, okay, it's an 88. And that's how I wound up in 88. But Fortunately, that's like this vein of 80s nostalgia. And I bought into it. Like my first draft of this book was like 75,000 words. And like, that doesn't seem like a lot, but when you have to put them one after the other in an order that makes sense, it's a lot. And um, I was pretty proud of it. And I gave it to my wife to read because like, you know, she's got my back. And she was like, this is kind of terrible. Um, this is, this is pretty, I think her words were, this is, this is a hot dumpster fire. Um, and, and she was right. I was just ripping off 80s movies. I was just ripping off 80s stuff. I was just, I was just imitating other people's versions of the 80s. And so I sat down with all her diaries from the 80s and all my letters and journals and all that stuff and just kind of tried to go back there. And the big thing to me, like, there's this idea of happy, shiny 80s nostalgia, because I want to get back to what you were saying, which is 80s nostalgia, which is contemptible. And it's this, it's this idea that we can laugh at it, like, oh, you thought you were attractive with that haircut? Like, it's really bullying and, and cruel. And what I remember the 80s being scared. Like, A, you're in high school. So in high school, you're just scared all the time. Like, I spent my, I mean, I had terrible skin in high school. Like, I'd wake up every morning just to new 
postulant boils on my face. Like how, what horror show do I have to deal with on my face to go to school? Like, like, you know, and then on top of that, I really, really believed that we were all going to die. Like we were, we lived in a world of the cold war where it was a viable future that we were just all going to die in a nuclear war. Like what I remember we had a career day and someone in my class who had more intestinal fortitude than I did was like, why are we talking about our futures when we're probably all going to be dead? (laughs) (laughs) But but And it's so ridiculous and it's so high school emo. I totally agree. But at the same time, we were living in a country whose geopolitical strategy was, well, if, they start a war, we'll start a bigger war that'll kill everyone. Like that was, the the geopolitical strategy was mutual, like mutual suicide. So like the 80s are fascinating to me because everyone's in love with the smell of their own body odor. Like, and that's my childhood, (laughs) so I love it. But like, we really did think there was a possibility we were just all gonna be dead. Um, And I'm sure kids feel that way now. I'm sure kids now feel like, some guy's going to walk into my school and start shooting or someone's going to fly a plane into my building. You know, it's, it's not unique to me, but that was my experience. You know, it's funny, a friend of mine's an agent and for children's books and she had a picture book that was going out that all took place in a school lockdown drill. And my oldest sister is a elementary school principal who does the drills all the time and everything. And I was like, oh, God, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. No one will buy this book. But the author was talking and saying, look, my daughter came into my bedroom crying. And she said, there's someone in the house. There's a man in the house with a gun. And she started talking to other parents. And they were like, oh, yeah, that's happened to my kids a few times. Like, the new nightmare isn't nuclear war. It's not a guy with a hockey mask and, like, a sickle. It's there's a man in the house with a gun. Um, And that's very weird to me because growing up in the eighties, my horror movie flavor, I loved horror movies. I didn't read really, but um, we're slasher movies and slasher movies are dudes walking through a public space. that's supposed to be safe with a weapon, killing people one by one. And that's Columbine. That's Emmanuel AME. That's, all the and so it's like what does that mean now like it's just the framework anyway sorry this is a very long you asked a very nice very straightforward question and i've given you this really depressing monologue no that's good though because this is what we do here depressing monologues are depressed oh my god i don't know if you listen to any of our we have more depressing podcasts that are coming out so like like, (laughs) pull out all this trauma and we're like oh yeah which no it's it's fascinating that you answered like so honestly because we love it like well yes that but also like what is there about the 80s like if everything was so horrible like what is there one to be nostalgic about but two it also makes sense that so many people cling to like not just like the 80s nostalgia if that was when they grew up like i know part of me kind of clings to 90s nostalgia right but it's just a time when we were ignorant of like what was really going on around us and sucked into our cartoons or city players and safe yeah yeah um i think it's 
mentally, like as adults, our relationship with the past, with that kind of nostalgia, it's our place where we can go back to and feel safe and to dampen the anxiety. Just, I don't really think much has changed since the eighties, really. It's just a new kind of, you know, pending apocalypse. <laughs> I have a yeah. friend who started yeah. collecting since quarantine, started collecting like old stuff he used to have. Like he went mm. and bought like his first phone just so that he could display it like on his bookcase and stuff. It's this very like, you know, interesting. No, I get it. I was like a comic book kid in the eighties. And like, I started picking up all these collections of stuff I grew up with. And I'm like, oh my God, this will be so great. And I was like, these are terrible. These are legit, just awful. Like, what am I doing? And like there, there is, but there is this comfort blanket aspect. Mm-hmm. For sure. I felt that and way you know, when I went back and watched Doug. <laughs> Doug yeah. sucks now. Doug is an asshole. Like, wait, what's Doug? Oh, the Doug. cartoon. Yeah, with that little kid with the oval face. Yeah. Yeah. Doug sucks. Sorry, but yeah. Like. <laughs> no, no, no. Don't apologize. But that's the thing, though. I mean, it's just nostalgia, and that's one of the things that blows my mind is you look at the 70s in horror and people were really trying to really upset people. And I'm not sure that's the same instinct now. I feel like people are sort of clustering together for warmth. Like there's a real, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But this idea of I'm going to horrify you with something really appalling. I don't think that's cool anymore. People really don't want that right this minute. Mm. So I had, it is very interesting because I've read several of your books and I kind of noticed that your, (laughs) I noticed that your protagonists are women or girls. Yeah. Like, want to talk about the, like, how how did that happen? Yeah, I hate my penis. (laughs) Um, I'm just curious. It's very fascinating to me. Well, there's two things and one is bigger than the other. And the, the bigger thing is that um, if I'm writing a book or a character or whatever, I need them to be different from me because if they're like me, if they have something like me, they're just going to be a, a sock puppet for me. And so I need some distance. And the, the easiest way for me to make that distance is to make them a, a woman to gender swap it. Um, and it's like, but, but there's also, you know, I grew up with three older sisters. My parents got divorced when I was like uh, 13. And so, and, and I lived with my mom. So like I grew up mostly around women and um, I, I guess I just, and, and I've been married for a very, very long time. Um, and I just find that experience really interesting uh, I know that sounds weird, like you're a science experiment. <laughs> like your your gender is my science experiment. <laughs> um, your pain is my fascination. <laughs> um, but, you know- You're in a little pinhead there, a little wide <laughs> marker with that. Such exactly. sights we can so we should show you. <laughs> <laughs> you solve the Rubik's Cube and most people who do go on YouTube, you will go to hell. Um, but yeah, so, and and I guess like, it also, I don't know, you know, when I was doing this book, I did this heavy metal horror book called We Sold Our Souls. And I started, it was going to be my dude book. I just done my best friend's exorcism. I was going to do this book. It was going to be about like guys who just like 
keep doing the same thing all through their middle age. And, you know, like, when do you give up? Like, when do you sign? And it was like, like a lot of guys I know who keep doing their band or their art or whatever, very angry. Um, and I was like, and, and I've had, you know, hey, anger's not unfamiliar to any guy. Um, and I was like, maybe there's something like, you know, like anger's not all bad. It's maybe good, but it also, I was like, it's going to be my dude anger book. And it just wasn't coming together. And I went to a party that a friend was having for the 2016 election. Um, and my wife and I got there, like she was working. We got there late. It was right when Florida had gone to Trump. It was like things had sort of taken a turn. And it was grim. And we, we sort of eased out of there. And when we got to the elevator, I was thinking, I was like, you know, if I'm going to write a book about someone who just is worthless, like everyone said they're worthless, they have no value in the world. It can't be a guy. It's got to be a woman. Like they're, they're right now, every woman I felt um, had just gotten this message that their experience had no value. Like, you know, and I was like, it's got to be. And so my C-H-R-I-S Chris became K-R-I-S Chris on that elevator ride. And I was like, it's got to be a girl. Um, but, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like my, my women, they, they have flaws. I don't, they're, they're, I'd be a lot more interested in my books if, like, a woman wrote them. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think you did too bad. If that helps at all. Thanks. I appreciate it. No, I was good. You know, and I was, when we, when Danny and I were like coming up with like, okay, we got to come up with like out of left field questions for Grady because he put a lot of pressure on ourselves. So we were kind of talking about, um, kind of the female relationships and just how they start off in your book and how they grow throughout it as the girls age and become young women and et cetera, et cetera. And one of the things that we tend to do a lot is like, we relate, like we try to relate personally to whatever it is we're reading. And what's interesting for me is because I grew up with like more traditional, like masculine things in like the early nineties, like video games and Star Trek and computers and everything. I had a lot of dude friends. So Mm -hmm when I was looking at the relationships and just kind of like the banter back and forth between, between the girls, it was interesting for me because on one level it reminded me of how my guy friends and I like reacted and, and how they like kind of treated each other too, just very playful, you know, like making fun, fun of each other. And it was weird because I realized again, Oh wait, I haven't had like those kinds of like female friendships. This is how I was with like my male friends. So on one hand, it felt masculine and feminine at the same time. It was like this nice balance. So, well, for me, it was, mm -hmm, yeah. No, go ahead. I was just going to say for me, it was really interesting because, you know, it was this setup for, for, girls for teenagers and that was kind of exactly my friend group when I was in high school there were four of us it was me Jessica Kelly and Melissa hey guys what's up no you're listening (laughs) anyway and we were like the weird girls because we were into horror stuff so we were like the weird girls that like always sat by ourselves like in the cafeteria and stuff so it really felt at least I'm like oh I know 
dynamics between four girls and it felt very because like we would rag on each other and stuff like that it wasn't dissimilar we weren't rich so you know we didn't have that going for us but you know it did feel familiar <laughs> yeah well you know it, it is one of those things like i mean you know sometimes i fudge it like there was that kind of dude like bullying kind of punch on the shoulder thing to it but i also you know I even remember like with my guy friends, like I had people make me cry in high school. Like you try to sort of deny it and forget about it, but like that sort of intense identification with someone else who's your friend, who you want to be them really, really badly. And like, that's, I think that cuts across. I mean, I think there are things, I don't think everything's re reducible to gender, like, you know, or, or, or ethnicity. Like, I do think there are these things that are really primal when you're a kid. And like one of them is you want to be this friend so badly. You're like, oh my God, you're my kid. You're, you're smart and you're funny. You always know the thing to say. You're hot. You're like good looking. Like, why can't I be you? Um, and, and that, that, and, and that feeling of like also feeling like you're really on the same page with someone and suddenly you discover it's not like, it's just, you were somewhere else in the book and they were over here. And that sense of like, it's not even rejection, it's just total stupidity. Oh my God, I screwed that up. I, I you know, I mean, just all those things are so primal. Mm -hmm. um, and I think guys are encouraged not to be vulnerable in that way. And I think, I, I just think, you know, so, but that's part of being a friend, you know, like you hate the person, you like the person, you know, the person and adult friendships are weirder and different than high school friendships. I mean, I don't know. Like, well, look, that, that actually segues into kind of a question we wanted to get into. So yeah, my best friend's exorcism and, you know, kind of talk about the, the relationships between the four girls in the books and my best friend's exorcism, but you did kind of a sequel, not sequel, with the Southern Book Club's Guide to Vampire Slaying that was kind of adult relationships versus, yeah. you know, teenage relationships. So let's talk about that a little bit, like relationships between when you're teenagers versus when you're adults and you have adult friends. Yeah, it you know? sucked. Um, <laughs> no, because the high school friendships are so passionate and they run so hot. And adult relationships, the adult friendships just don't. Um, you know, like lots of my friends as adults, like we, like if I was, if I was 16 and my best friend didn't like an album I liked, that was a big deal. Holy shit. How are we going to get past? How are we going to get through this, man? Um, as an adult, I've got really close friends who voted for Trump like you know I've got really close friends who like are radically different from me but there's this idea that um you're in it for the long haul and this it's harder to make friends as an adult than it is in high school because mm -hmm. you're thrown into less weird situations as an adult you kind of self-select like I choose not to do that um <laughs> and there's also this thing of I feel like a big part of adult friendship is I'm going to put up with your annoying bullshit if you put up with mine. Um, you know, like, like we may bore each other and disagree with each other, but I'm going to put up with you if you put up with me. And to be honest, your adult friends are the ones who come to the rescue more than anyone. Like, 
Like, you know, when you're an adult, that's when your kid dies. That's when you get divorced. That's when the really hard stuff hits the fan. And that's when people show up. And they're not the people you expected. Um, and so, but it's very different though, because it's so, it's so much more day to day and so much more chore oriented. And as a high schooler, like, it's like, it's do or die right this minute. Nah. Um, so it's Brian really Adam, different... summer of 69 starts playing. Yeah, <laughs> no, totally. So it's like a really different temper. And so in writing about it and trying to make it entertaining, it's really hard. Like there was a point in Southern Book Club where I was like, Jesus Christ, this is, I've made a terrible miscalculation to make these people adults. <laughs> You're like, adults suck. <laughs> not interesting. I, I feel, God, I'm like thinking to like my friend groups too, which I feel like I need to give a shout out. Andy, Greg, John, Mike, Fuck all of you. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I love you guys. <laughs> but yeah. These, these are, these are like my close guy friends that I've had since high school. Right. And to your point about like when you're adults, like you realize who's there for you, like who can weather the storm the best and yeah. everything else. And relating that to specifically kind of that close friendship between Gretchen and Abby, um, especially how they become friends, first of all, in the book, which is kind of reluctant. And then they found some, something in common. But what is it about their friendship that has like sustained from childhood and then through this whole traumatic event of Gretchen getting possessed you know it seemed it's obviously way more than like the typical high high school drama that a normal 15 year old would deal would deal with so is there anything like that's specifically special about those two girls that not only like carries the relationship through the whole book but maybe will they be best friends forever be BFFs? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, they will be as much as you can be, you know? I mean, it changes so much after high school. It's like, you know, weird. But no, but they're just normal. I mean, to me, Abby and Gretchen are just normal. Those are the friends you have in high school. They matter more than anything else on earth. And maybe they only matter for a short time. Maybe they matter for the rest of your life. But they're fascinated by each other and jealous of each other and attracted to each other and repulsed by each other like it's just it's just you meet that person you know and I think that's one of the great things about high school and you know in school you just meet so many people you go into a class of like 70 80 200 people and you're gonna find someone you know what I mean like you're gonna find that person it's such a huge class my class was 40 I grew up. Oh yeah, in. no, mine was seventy three. So <laughs> mine was. But I know like people four fifty. <laughs> yeah. Oh my. Oh God. yeah, I went to my niece's um, graduation a couple of years ago, and it was like eight hundred students. I was like, holy crap! <laughs> what is this? It was insane. Um, yeah, mine was seventy three, and it was, you know, there weren't geeks and jocks and cheerleaders the cheerleaders were the geeks like it was this i don't know it didn't break up the way it's supposed to in an 80s movie um 
but yeah, no, I, I just think those friendships, I still keep up with two really close friends from high school. And there's probably three or four outside of that who were friends who are sort of, but none of them are the same as it was, you know, and it's, and all of us have had big gaps in keeping up with each other. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. I just don't, you need those friendships when they exist. They are 100% essential, but they're not forever. No. I mean, and the thing about friends that you're still with and you two might have the same is that the people you had friends with in high school, like they know shit about you. So it's like this, this, I don't know, like my friends that I had in high school, they know stuff about me and it's just like, you know, forever, like, oh man, if I make you upset, this is like going to yeah. haunt me forever. Like, what'd you do in high school? Did you actually, you know, I was the goody two shoes, believe it or not. My father was a cop. So. <laughs> So I was going to wanted, but my friend Jessica <laughs> ran away to Boston to go to a new kids on the block concert and got all of us in trouble because none of us knew where she was and everything. So I love it was for new kids on the block concert. What year was that? Oh, I'm God. trying to think of which album they had, what, con what tour it was. Oh God, let's see. This would be middle school. So I want to say 90, Ooh, that was super early. Yeah, that yeah. was when they were all like adolescent. Oh yeah. I mean, Joey was like bitty. Okay, he was yeah. like bitty. Um, but anyway, yeah. So you know, time. they know stuff about you, and you're just like, look at the person they are now, and it's like, man, I remember you bawling over Kurt Cobain and making a mural in your bedroom, dude. <laughs> and now you're here with like oh. kids and everything, and. You had a friend who made a Kurt Cobain mural? That's amazing. In her bedroom, yeah, when he died. You know, that's one of those things that I feel like it's really, I want to see that in a book because I feel like that was a huge moment for a lot of people and like in a really sincere way. But there's no way to talk about it now that doesn't seem ironic. Yeah. I mean, it, it you know, I mean, like the music, which, you know, we can talk about because that was one other topic we kind of wanted to talk about is the relationship to the music and the 80s and using it as kind of like emotional kind of beats for the story in a lot of ways. Um, chapter you know, titles. Chapter yeah, titles yeah. and all sorts of, <laughs> God damn, did I, I have, <laughs> man, I had freaking, I die for you in my head for like, I don't even know how long. So thank you for that. <laughs> My pleasure. Yeah. We we got the beat for me. Like we that. got the beat. beat oh my God. Those the beats. <laughs> fucking go-go's. They yeah. were not license their music for the book. Oh um, no. Yeah. Cause like you've got to, if you're going to print lyrics, you've got to license them. Yeah. Um, song titles are free and clear, but lyrics you've got to license. And the Go-Go's, and we didn't realize it at the time, they were gearing up for their Broadway show. That's <laughs> There's nothing on Broadway now. Um, <laughs> and so they would not license anything. So actually the lyrics that we got the beat in the book, they're different. We yeah. just changed them. Like, like, yeah. like, it's like, oh, Abby missed. I was just like, we would have we paid them about seven or $8,000 to license those lyrics. And they were just like, no, thanks. Uh, and I'm sure, you know, Belinda Carlisle, she doesn't care about seven or $8,000. Madonna, great. She was easy. I was like, <laughs> here you go, here you go, $700, done. Um, I'm trying to think, um, oh, uh, God, 
you know, there was someone else who was terrible who I didn't anticipate who would be terrible at licensing their stuff. Um, oh, I'll try to remember it in a minute. Um, but it was really weird. Who would license and who wouldn't was yeah. odd. It's just interesting because, you know, it was such a thing that I appreciated about the book because for me, and I think it's true, and it gets talked about in the book how there's just songs and stuff that just take you back to a certain yeah. time period or a moment or whatever, you know, you'll think about a certain person or like what you were doing at the time. And I thought that was really cool how that was kind of done in the book too. You know, they oh, had their thanks. summer mix and all that stuff. And I was like, yeah, we did that. You know, like. That stuff was really important. I remember making mixes for people and being like, it was like, oh my God, what comes next? What song comes next? It was do or die. It was intense. Super important. Super I, can, important. I can relate to that, except instead of cassette tapes, it was CDs that you oh, legally down. I was burning oh, CDs of music I got off of Napster. So yeah. <laughs> we all were. So yeah. Know. <laughs> you probably my had first a my... account, MySpace. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, MySpace. Oh. MySpace. Somebody needs to write something about that. MySpace. There is just this beginning. And I mean, like every like generation of kids in high school, they all have that one thing that like just kind of defines everything, you know, 80s mixtapes, music. I feel like even yeah. more so than maybe even the early 2000s or 90s, like 80s music is, I, I feel like was what brought everybody together kind mm. of in a very well, romanticized way. Yeah, it didn't, it didn't, because it was yeah. weird. Because when you look back at 80s music, like, you know, hip hop was getting big, but like that one, I mean, I'm from South Carolina. That was playing some in South Carolina, but not as big as it was in New York, you know? There was a huge Southern rock revival. There was like just what we think of as mainstream 80s. Everything was sort of, I remember, a friend of mine who was from Utah, um, they were playing me. They'd made a mixtape off the radio. Jesus Christ. Oh, um, dude, that was super stressful. Like, that was. Yeah, stressful. I know. You're going to get it right at the moment. Um, <laughs> but it was like George Michael's I Want Your Sex. And it was like, I Want Your Love. Because they had done new lyrics for Utah because he wanted the airplay. And it was like, what? God. <laughs> that's amazing that is awesome what was your first like cd joanna grady what was your what was your first thing that you bought for yourself you two like music wise oh, i bought for myself yeah you were like i'm gonna get that and you go out and for you because you're a baby it would be a cd but i bought a cassette tape <laughs> what was it I'm trying to remember, Grady, if you if you remember before me, go. This no, is wait, like, I want to know yours. Mine? Oh, my God. Like, I, I can tell you, like, the first CDs I got, but I didn't buy them myself. Like, what that was, was like, the Spice Girls. <laughs> All <laughs> right. <laughs> Backstreet Boys, five, 98 degrees. And then the first oh, CD that got me in trouble uh, my friend Monique, hi Monique, uh, got <laughs> me 
Blink-182's Enema of the State <gasps> for my third birthday. <laughs> I had that CD. And I had been listening to Blink-182 for a long time before that, but because of the freaking parental advisory label on it, and I had it on top of my like stack of CDs on my dresser next to my boombox, <laughs> my mom saw it and she freaked out and I will never What's forget. It? She's, she's like, do you even know what enema means? And I'm like, I didn't. You know, I'm like, no, I don't know what <laughs> Like, well, your father and I had to look it up, and it is not nice. <laughs> Where did they look it up? So, like, no, I mean, we, we, we had the, the internet at that point. dictionary of not nice words? Like, I that's don't know. Amazing. Oh my God. I don't know. And that's then later hilarious. on, I realized, I'm like, oh, this is just... This is a, a medical thing. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't wasn't that Tipper Gore's thing? The parental advisory. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the eighties says hello. We gave you parental advisory later. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, those were. I mean, those were the first CDs I made. Honestly, I can't believe your mom had to have a fight with you over what in the mom meant. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, mom. <laughs> Hi, mom. She's probably. I feel like. <laughs> I feel like being a parent, you never know how low you're going to have to go. <laughs> Especially with. Oh God, I I always fought back so much, but on, like honestly, I think I didn't like buy my own CDs until maybe I was like a junior or senior in high school because we had the internet very early, and as soon as I discovered I can get music off the internet. Hey, Dad, buy me a CD burner. <laughs> so I just was. Whoa, very advanced. Yeah. <laughs> Tiny pirate. I know. I don't do it anymore, though, <laughs> because we have Spotify now. I was going to say, yeah, why would you burn anything? No, I got a Spotify subscription now. <laughs> <laughs> but nice. yeah. yeah. What about you? Yeah. <laughs> what are you oh, doing yours? Um, I don't remember what I bought for myself, but I remember the first cassette I ever got as a gift was Duran Duran's Arena, which yes! was their live album. It's in the, that's in the book. Yeah. And that <laughs> meant a lot to me. That was just like huge for me. And it was weird to listen to their albums later without the, the fake crowd. Because I mean, Arena, I'm not sure all those tracks are real live. Like I think I think one or two of them, I think like Rio and Hungry Like the Wolf are actually live, but the rest are just like fake live. But it was weird not to hear them with like people like, <laughs> like, you know, I was like, like, you know, Wild Boys, doesn't that always start with like a big crowd noise? <laughs> um, but yeah, that was mine. That was mine. What was yours? Dirty Dancing soundtrack. A movie I've never seen. Really? I'm saving it until I'm on life support. Nice. And then I will see it and it will be amazing. But like, yeah, I'm saving it. Okay. Well, this quick, quick question though, because this has to do with our surprise at the end. You know, you know the infamous like lift scene, right? Yeah. Left. Okay, good. That's that's all I that's needed to know. All right. Yes. Just in case. Just in case. <laughs> just in case. I really hope someone's coming to my house that you've hired to lift me so I can just. We're good. Not that good. Oh, Because oh, yeah, I've also but... got a lot of Titanic imprinting. Like, you know, I'm flying. <laughs> <Leo>. <laughs> hey, the world. Thank you, Leo. Um, 
Nobody puts baby in a lifeboat. Nobody puts baby. <laughs> just no one puts it all baby up. on a no door. <laughs> yeah, imagine Titanic with Patrick Swayze and Jennifer Grey instead. <gasps> it's so They much both would have fit on that platform. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Patrick Swayze is no like, like legit yeah. athletic. It just would have been like fine. Yeah. It would have been fine. <laughs> okay, so we we did have a burning question considering the beginning of the book. Have you ever taken acid? Oh yeah. So that, so, okay. So when I was in high school, I think I was in 10th grade, my, a bunch of friends of mine were going to go see a Crosby stills and Nash concert in Atlanta. We were in Charleston and I didn't quite know who Crosby stills and Nash were, but I was like, cause I was very dumb about music and I was like, yeah, it sounds great. And, um, went, and a friend of mine and I, he was like, like for me, I don't know about for y'all, but a lot of my high school existence was spent on drug deals that never happened. You know, like you'd be <laughs> sitting in a parking lot waiting to buy acid or pot or whatever from someone who would just never show up. And then your other friend would be like, I'm going to go call him. And they go pretend to call him for the payphone. and be like, yeah, he stood us up. Um, or you go to a hotel room and like, you knock and knock and no one ever answer. Like that just happened a lot. And um, so, but it was like, we were like, oh, we really want to drop acid. That sounds amazing. And so I met the urinal. I mean, there's too much information, but I met the urinal, this concert. <laughs> and this guy next to me is like, do you want to buy like some blue unicorn? And I'm <laughs> like, oh, yeah, whatever. Wastoid. And um I pee, he wanders off, and I go out and I say to my friend, oh my God, you wouldn't believe it. This guy just tried to sell me acid at the urinal. And he's like, are you kidding? And I'm like, oh yeah, right, am I kidding? Yes, that's, that's our sole objective in life. And so we tracked this guy down and um, bought acid from him, and he was really baked. Like, he wound up selling us something like 60 or 70 hits for $20. Like, he was- What? He was just- <laughs> He was oh so, God. I think he, I think he'd sampled his own product. He was, he was first like, rule, man, first rule, don't sample I know. your product. Like, what? And he was great. He was really lovely. He was like, listen, man. I was like, oh God, this guy's going to give me a hard time. I'm like in 10th grade. I'm 15. Like, he's like, I can't see your mind on Mars. And I'm like, oh yeah, I can't either. And he's like, yeah, exactly. And then he sold me a lot of acid. Um, and so, yeah. And so it was, it was a terrible trip. Like everything that you shouldn't do, we did. It was awful. It was appalling. Um, and that really like soured me. But I remember also, it was one of those things with acid at the time. And I don't know how people felt later, but it was like Sid Barrett from the original Pink Floyd was the thing. Like he looked at acid once. And now he's living in a basement apartment in his mom's house. And he goes to the post office once a week. He was a rock star. And now look at him. And so it's this idea that like, if you even touch drugs, you might just wind up living in your mom's house for the rest of your life. So there was this real feeling of like, did we do something wrong? It's too late. Just um, say no, Grady. Just say no. Yeah, it was so like, it was like, it's in your system. You can't get it out. It was it was a very weird experience because it's sort of the cultural accretion around it. That comes through loud and clear in that whole scene <laughs> in your book where was it Abby 
Gretchen, Glee, and Margaret are like, yeah, we're going to take acid. And then Abby is just like, well, what's done is done. We just <laughs> yeah. We're in for yeah. it now. Like, oh man. And that line about Sid, Sid Barrett, I think it's word for word in your book too. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, I know. It it, is. Yeah. This is just me regurgitating my childhood. I love it. That's great. No. Um, that's awesome. But that's the thing though. Like, come on, you guys, y'all, like smoking pot, whatever. But y'all took your first serious, had your first serious drug experience and didn't feel terrified at some point. Maybe you're well better adjusted than I am. I honestly like have never done hard drugs in my life. I've only ever drank or smoked pot. Now Ecstasy. my my no? friend, no, never, no, what? because here's here's the thing. One time I got way too high, and I thought the devil was shaking maracas in my ears. This was in college. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> So I like I that your devil comes equipped with a rhythm section. Yes. To the tune of I Will Survive by Aretha Franklin. <laughs> my friend at the time was playing in his dorm room and I had locked myself in his bathroom and was ripping apart his bathroom because I thought there were webcams in there. Like <laughs> I you know what? Thank you for sharing. That's amazing. <laughs> And then I didn't, I had touched weed for years after that. I will say, (laughs) I came down off my acid trip with my shirt off in my pants, walking up the on-ramp of a highway. (laughs) So we're in the same boat. I Um, watched 1408, the Stephen King movie, high as a kite, and it was bad choice. Oh my God. You're like, this is about my house. (laughs) This is... Yes. Like, wait, I'm, I'm there. 15, I'm like 23. In... <laughs> it yeah. was, it was, you were like, this is going to be great. It was not great. <laughs> not great. But it that was... is one of those amazing things you can do. Like, right. It's like, this is really scary and terrible. Now I'm doing it. Like, uh... yeah, for sure. I don't trust my mind enough to like <laughs> so, take yeah. ecstasy or acid. <laughs> I know my mind. I know I was raised on like Duke Nukem and forensic files. I know what goes on in my head. <laughs> so uh, Duke Nukem. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my my dad had Wolfenstein on our computer when I was a kid. So yeah. But he had the 3D one. The, yeah, like, the 3D. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. <clears throat> so let's talk about supernatural stuff. There's lots of supernatural stuff in here. Um, we were curious. So why, like, <clears throat> people's relationships to the supernatural, like, especially in the 80s and all of that sort of stuff, you know, like, was that part of, like, all those, like, all of the kind of, like, Cold War, all of that stuff going on? You know, we wanted to kind of talk about that and, like, regardless if they themselves had a supernatural experience. Then we also wanted to talk about if you've had a supernatural experience. And, well, wait, and, so, yeah, go ahead. Uh, and then the final part of that, it's a long question. So, but the oh, final part of that hard. is we know, we read that you worked for ASPR or- Oh, yeah, how American Society all that, for yeah. Psychical Research. Yeah. yeah, so how does that kind of relate to the supernatural? Like, what's your kind of attitude towards all of that stuff? Well, I mean, everything I think about it, I learned at the ASPR. Um, my boss was a really, really smart woman. 
Um, and she had a very good attitude towards kind of all of this. I mean, my part of my job, I was the office manager there. I didn't have any kind of big position. I filled membership forms. I kept the membership database. I answered the phones. Um, but she was like, you know, people are going to call in here and tell you things. And um, your job is not to, you know, they could be high, they could be mentally ill, they could be making things up to see what they can get away with. Like they could just be pranking you. So don't validate them. Like don't validate what they say. At the same time, you're the office manager, basically. You file mail. What do you know? Maybe there is life after death. You have no idea. So don't invalidate them either. So what that meant was, it was, but what it meant was for about four or five years, I just listened a lot to people calling in. And, and we, we got like probably four or five calls a week of people reporting experiences or things that happened to them. And um, the thing I learned is that it's a very human experience. I mean, it's really normal to feel like you've seen something supernatural or something out of the ordinary or a ghost. Like, it's just normal. It happens to everyone. And, I, and I'm, not invalid, I'm not saying, oh, pish posh, it's all optical illusion. But like, everyone has this experience. It's really common. Um, and to, to sit there and say to someone like, like, on the one hand, that's very comforting, right? Like, I've seen a ghost. I'm really flipped out. Oh, you and pretty much everyone else. I am sure both of you or one of the two of you has had some kind of experience where you felt like you've seen something supernatural or a ghost or something you can't really explain or something you experienced as supernatural. And the other part of that is what I really learned is if someone comes to you and it's like, I saw a ghost. I saw my dead grandmother. If you turn to them and say, well, actually, that's a temperature inversion coupled with, you know, uh, this, that, and that, you're an asshole. Yeah. Like, <laughs> this person may have seen a lighting effect. It may have been some kind of electromagnetic effect on their frontal lobes. It may have been confirmation bias, whatever it was. But they experienced it as this profound supernatural event. And it's really meaningful to people. And who am I to tell them that's not meaningful? So what's your supernatural experience? Oh, it, it was really stupid. Uh, I was playing. <laughs> it was, I no. was, yeah, no, like you, invalidate away. No, but I, like you were I was on the playing, toilet and something appeared. Like, like. No, I was playing tag with my cousins out on the, the beach. And like, we, we saw someone where there couldn't be someone. And we all saw him and like, and then seconds later, he wasn't there. And looking back on it, I get it. It was the way the street lights were hitting this lattice work door. We were underneath the house. Like it was, but at the time, we all experienced it as this thing. And it was really profound. And one of the big problems I have with writing horror fiction is that the reality is so banal. Like if you see a ghost in real life or something you experience as a ghost in real life, it walks across the room. It moves. I mean, it's not that exciting intrinsically in and of itself, but 
because it's such a disruption of what you believe is the natural way of things in this room at this moment, it's really profound and it's a big deal. And when I wrote the first draft of Horror Store, my editor was like, these ghosts don't do anything. <laughs> They're not exciting. They're not trying to kill anyone. Uh, and I'm like, well, that's not what ghosts do. And then I was like, right, right. Fictional <laughs> ghosts. ghosts, real ghosts. Yeah, yeah they're, they're ghosts. different things. Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the things I learned early on is the history of a place has nothing to do with whether it's haunted or not. People are haunted, not places. Mm -hmm. Like, so, anyways. Wherever you go, that's there you my, are. <laughs> yeah, that's my 25% lecture. No, I like that, that sentiment that people are haunted because kind of segues back into Abby and Gretchen. They're both kind of haunted in their own way, not just by adolescence, but kind of by their parents, their own experiences, just kind of what you were talking about before. Like, oh, you're jealous of your friend. They might have something, you know, that that you want. Um, so with with that in mind, we kind of also wanted to explore like 80s satanic panic a little bit and how interesting it kind of is when like a young person who's having all these body changes and hormones and everything some people it's 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 more easily explained away as like oh you're possessed you know because you're acting totally different when really it's just a normal thing that's happening. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things I, I, so one of the things I saw in a lot of women I was friends with at that time was they would get really fucking pissed off uh, in adolescence. And it was like they would run up against stuff that should piss them off. And nowadays, you just shrug it off. Like, yeah, it's just life. But at the time, they were young women running up against limitations of their gender or what was expected of them or whatever. And they would get furious because A, they hadn't encountered it before and B, they're a teenager where your hormones are already crazy and C, they're right. It's wrong. It's ridiculous, you know? And, and that was really amazing. Like to watch that and to see how they were sort of dismissed and put in a pocket, you know, like, oh, well, they're having a hard time or see that like turned into some kind of diagnosis or something was really, really interesting because it was just, to me, it was legitimate anger. Um, and, I, and I think at the same time, you watch guys who would have that legitimate anger. And, and because they're guys, because they're probably more physical, because they're a little bigger, they're a little tougher, um, that anger would be a little more dangerous to adults. And so those guys would be treated a little different. And it was just interesting to see how much kids running up against the boundaries of what was expected of them. And, and, and their, their real understandable anger about that would be treated like you look back and you're like you know i think all of us i mean maybe we don't i don't know but i think all of us know kids who were given a diagnosis or had to go somewhere to rest for a while or whatever it was and i'm not sure all of that was legit i'm not sure how much of that wasn't just adults just didn't want to deal with that 
Right. I mean, I'll be, I'll be completely honest. Like the stuff in the book, you know, tapeworms, you know, gore, whatever. I'm a gore hound. So it doesn't bother me. Like, I'm just like, cool. I'm like, bring it on. But the horrifying stuff in the book had absolutely nothing to do with the possession. It was all the bullshit while she's yeah. trying to like tell them about her friend and like how her friend needs help and all of this stuff. That was the horrifying shit in the book. Yeah. Like to me anyway, like the other stuff I was like, okay, cool. You know, but yeah, that's the horrifying yeah. stuff to me because I've seen that, you know, yeah. I've seen that happen like almost verbatim in some cases. And mm -hmm. it's, you know, like that's the horrifying shit. Yeah. Same. I've, I've seen that. I've experienced that, you know, even I sometimes still experience that today, you know, in my profession or people that I come across, you know, and it could, it could be anything from questioning like my expertise on something to, I don't know, friends, trying to tell me something happened one way when we were younger or you know an ex while we were together trying to convince me you know like oh you shouldn't you know go bother with grad school let's just go get married and stuff like that it's you know to to your point of like especially young women coming up against roadblocks and essentially being told like no you shouldn't want to achieve any more because you don't have to and if you want to then like you're not a real woman like not being taken seriously yes that is the most horrifying part because you feel powerless for sure and the gaslighting the gaslighting oh, yeah. what you saw yeah. with your own eyes doesn't exist you know well, this, that, or the yeah other thing. and that's really the like i i find the scariest thing is someone denying your own experience? Um, and, 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 you know, I've seen this happen, and I think everyone has on, at some point in their life where you're trying to sell, tell someone in charge, this is what's happening to this person. Like, it's not even you, it's someone, you're like, this is, this is what's going on, and they just won't listen. They just are not hearing you, and you feel invisible and you feel irrelevant and it's really i find it terrifying you know mm -hmm. yeah for sure i think we have one more question that joanna had because she was really vehement about this one and then we have a surprise what which Wait, one joanna, i want to ask you what's your job you just mentioned your job you hear this i'm often. i'm a journalist okay. mostly mostly tech so okay. <laughs> yeah oh Wow, a woman writing about tech? I know. Are you qualified? <laughs> oh, I think so. I think so. I, just I mean, like, I, I, just... I, I click this thing and it does stuff on the computer. So yeah. it doesn't it's work. I just hit my breast against the screen. And it works again. <laughs> you know? I don't even need to do that. I just go get the IT guy to do it. Yeah, I just go get it. some guy to help me like working out. <laughs> yeah. But what was what was the question that I really wanted to ask? Why the fuck did Abby oh. Gretchen become friends with Margaret when she was such a bitch when they were kids? Margaret was such a crappy little kid. Oh, Margaret's amazing. Okay, first off. We, we got a jump and we were like, how did they become friends? Like, when yeah. did this happen? First off, okay, there's some people you're friends with because they get friction with you. 
Like it's whatever it is, like they're engaging with you and whether it's animosity or whatever, it's like this person is part of my life. You know, like it just happens. Um, and on top of that, Margaret's kind of great. Like Margaret doesn't take any shit from anyone. Margaret's mm. in there for Margaret. Like there, there's a really admirable part of that where it's just like, you go, like you are a fucking rock star. Um, like just go be. And so it's that kind of thing where you're sometimes friends with someone where you just stand back and admire what a mess they are. You know, like, and, and there's also a part of it, it's unexplainable. I have friends I look at now who I've known for decades where I'm like, why are we friends? Like, yes. what did I ever like about you? But somehow I've known you for 23 years and okay, sure. You're going to bully me into coming to your boyfriend's shitty birthday party? Okay. I mean, that's, that's totally fair. Like, Margaret as a teen i i definitely like yeah she absolutely kicks ass she's the leader of the group she's the one peer pressuring everybody to do acid right we have all had that at least that one friend that peer pressures everybody into doing something and then we also probably all have that one friend that we met under the worst of circumstances and we hated them and then you're friends for 20 plus years yeah that's that's my friend Greg. We met in high school because he kicked me in the back of the knee, the back of the knee that I just had an operation on. Hi, Greg. <laughs> I became friends with my friend Chris in college because we were with the same guy and didn't know it. And that's how mm. we met. And we've been friends ever since then. <laughs> Chris, Do you have any Greg, stories like that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you have any stories no. like, like that, Grady? Not quite like that. Like, I don't think... <laughs> But like, definitely there are people in my life, none of whom I want to name, where I'm like, how did you get here? Like, how did this happen? Like, there was someone so much cooler that we were mutual friends with, but now we're stuck with each other, you know? <laughs> Indeed. Okay, so I think it's time. Oh, oh yeah. You have your thing. We are going to go on a virtual acid trip. Yes. Oh, that's exciting. Okay. And I made. Yes. Oh, yeah. Paper fortune tellers. For our listeners who can't see this, this is one of those paper fortune tellers from the 80s and 90s that you just like kind of open like a mouth and you choose a color and a number and all that good stuff. So there are eight possible endings to your yes, acid, acid trip, trip. <laughs> yes and there so start off by picking a color there's red yellow green uh, the blue pink. or the red oh, the red yeah red. the red okay. yeah red. <laughs> e d all right so you can choose between numbers three seven four and eight four. Oh no eight 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 uh, eight oops one more okay um again choose between three seven four or eight no, four. Four. Okay. Let's see how your Astro trip ends. I was totally OCD as a kid. So everything was two fours, eights, sixteens, eighteens, twenty-eights, and thirty-twos. All right. You have a religious experience in the grocery store and create supermarket sweep. Nice. Oh, nice. Okay, I can live with that. That's actually a very productive acid trip. It is. There are ones that are not so productive. I'll Wait, do you it. You got to give us all the endings. Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. Yeah. All right. Uh, blue. Yeah. 
Blue. B-L-U-E. -E. All right. Four, eight, seven, or three? Three. Two, three. Uh, one, two, five, or six? One. All right. You are possessed by Satan. Oh, no! Oh. <laughs> that's not so bad, is it? <laughs> I mean, compared to so some popular. of the other ones, that's, yeah, that's yeah. kind of, yeah. <laughs> Whatever. All right, you want to go again? Or I can just read, read the rest oh, of them. Oh, no, 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 I, I want to yeah, go again. I want to go oh, with yellow. Oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> All right, go ahead, Gertie. Yellow? Yellow. All right, one, five, two, or six. Jesus Christ, those are terrible numbers. Um, two. <laughs> yeah. All right. Same numbers. One, five, two, or six. Five. It hurts me to do an odd number. I know, but the best ones are on the odds, I think. Uh, actually, yeah, I think so. Uh, uh, you think you're Jennifer Grey and die attempting to do the dirty dancing lift. <laughs> <laughs> to myself? Yes. <laughs> I mean, you died, so, I mean, yes. yeah. maybe it you thought, badly. like, a cliff with Patrick Swayze or a tree. Or yeah, some tree. kind of spiked tree, yeah. <laughs> Lightning blasts. I, like, I basically impaled myself. Yes. <laughs> Die of embarrassment, I guess. Exactly. Wait, you got to do one. Yeah, go but ahead, I, Joanna. I guess, I kind of don't remember what I wrote down. All okay, right, then good. Um, then just do it. Okay, I'll do green. G-R-E-E-N. Okay, and I'll do seven. Two, three, four, five, six, seven. And nobody's picked number two yet, right? No, no I don't think so. Okay, so I'll pick two. <laughs> I have died of dysentery. <laughs> wow, that's harsh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> on on the organ trail <laughs> on the organ trail <laughs> she was she was larping it really hard while tripping on acid yes actually do people it. larp the organ trail i hope not i don't know i just yeah. said it i don't know i just said that it, sounds so. terrible <laughs> yes. so terrible all right, all right we got a few left oh god okay any? Uh, yellow. Four, eight, seven, or three? Seven. One, two, five, or six? Six. I don't think we've done six. We have not. Uh, you think you're fighting Freddy Krueger, but it's just your cat, Fred. Ah. It doesn't sound like it ends up well for anyone. No. Because <laughs> so, someone winds up dead in that scenario. Yeah. Wait, read the other ones, Shauna. Read the other ones? Let's, yeah, go ahead and read the other ones. Okay. Um, the other one, remember what the other ones were. Oh, yes. Okay, the other one, number eight, was you have a tragic accident with tweezers and your eyebrows are never the same. That's not so bad. Not so bad. <laughs> um, da, da, da. Survivable. Yes. Oh, uh, you make an epic mixtape for your ex, but it's just recordings of The Price is Right. <laughs> Very specific. Yes. Um, you think you buy stocks in Apple, but you wrote the E.T. game instead. Hmm. 80s, that epic E.T. game. And I think that was... That's all? Yeah, that's it. Sweet. That's, that's all eight. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 80s, totally fun. 
Yes. <laughs> flashback. It's sleepover fun. games. Flashback. So having a flashback. There's blood. We have. We have. We have gone on. But Grady, tell us what you're working on now before we. Oh. Um. So well, it's weird, right? Because publishing just takes so long. So I just wrapped up my book that's coming out next summer. And I'm about to, on September 1st, which I think is a Monday. Monday, yeah. I'm starting on the book for 2022. So the book for next year is The Final Girls Support Group, uh, which is about a support group for final girls from horror movies. And someone's killing them one by one. And the only person who believes that it's a conspiracy is the most paranoid member. Um, You know, there's been final girl stuff before, but it's always been treated so campy. And I'm like, what? But these women had this, like, all their friends got murdered when they were 17. Like, that's mm-hmm. not good. Like, how's the rest of your life doing for you? Um, and it's funny. I wrote this book originally in 2014, around the same time I did Horror Store. And um, I wanted it to be the book after My Best Friend's Exorcism. So I did a whole new draft of it. I gave it to my editor. And it was literally the week the press release went out about Riley Sager's book, Final Girls. Yeah. And they were like, we don't Mm. want that. And so then I rewrote it again after we sold our souls and they didn't want it then. And so finally I sold it. Uh, And it's a book I've been working on for a really long time. And um, I love horror. Like that's just sort of where I wound up. And um but it is weird to me that like I spent a lot of my teen years watching movies about women getting murdered. And, and so I, this book is kind of my attempt to like, what does that mean? Like, what, what's that all about? Like, mm. what, what's up? Why, why, why am I a degenerate? Um, <laughs> and, if you and are, we all are. Let's, yeah. you know. <laughs> and then the book I'm working on for 2022, I'm about to start. It's about parents and kids. One of the things I always thought as a kid is that by the time I was like, 40 my parents would be dead and then you turn 40 and 50 and 60 and your parents are still alive and you realize you have to have a relationship with your parents as like an adult like they are gonna live like for a long time (laughs) and so I wanted to write something about parents and kids but also about killer dolls and killer puppets because I feel like there's not enough killer doll and killer puppet stuff out there yeah you can't saturate that market (laughs) <laughs> no, that market. So the book for 2022, I think it's going to be called How to Sell a Haunted House. And it's Ooh. it's doll horror. Uh, nice. We have, my parents collected dolls. It was upsetting. Whoa, your house just more my childhood trauma. Oh, your house was No, that's fine. I used to collect dolls, mainly because my grandma, whenever she would travel to a different country, she would bring me and my cousins back each doll. So... I have a whole doll collection in my closet because people find it too scary to, for yeah. me to leave it out. But I'm like, but this is from Kenya. It's a wire doll made with beads. Look how beautiful it it's is. It's creepy, I mean, Joanna. Put it away. It's <laughs> but that's the thing, too. Like, think of all that stuff that was in your childhood home that had no meaning. Like, clown pictures, pictures of harlequins. Like, you know what I mean? There was just a lot of stuff that our parents had that was just like, what what why why is that in this house with me right now <laughs> awesome well i mean we are i we're gonna wrap it up i mean i could keep talking but um <laughs> i'm excited for your next books grady yes oh especially, Thank you. especially the final girls one yes. like oh, 
I hope people like it. I, yeah. I'm, I'm, I, this book means a lot to me and I'm, it's sort of like the end of a lot of stuff. Like these are, that's the last of the books I've been thinking about for the last 15 years of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, now I'm into the books that I'm just sort of like churning out like a machine. Uh, <laughs> but Final Girls is sort of the last of the books I've been carrying around for like a decade or more. Mm. Cool. I'm excited. I'm excited. We'll, we'll have to uh, we'll have to put that one on the list, Joanna. We'll do it again. Yes. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so next time, everybody. So thank you, Grady, for for yes. being with Thanks us. Thank me. you so much. Um. It's thank you. Been thank you. Awesome. Yeah. Next time we are going to be talking about what we do in shadows, the 2014 mockumentary by Taika Waititi and Jermaine Clement. I love that show. Yes. We're going to be talking about the uh, original movie. It's going to be awesome. Mm -hmm. So follow us on Twitter, everybody. We're at the box underscore podcast on Twitter. We are on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Podbean. And so listen, comment, let us know what you think. And we will see you next time. Bye, everybody. Cheers, guys. It's Gwyneth Paltrow's head. (laughs) (laughs) 